1: Friends, welcome to Live Boldly with Sarah Shulton Kranz, a survivor, thriver, adventurer, and believer in all things possible. My mission is to guide others to live their life boldly, regardless of circumstances. I believe we all have the power to overcome and lead joy-filled, happy lives. Recorded from the trail or in my office, I share inspiring stories from everyday people because we all deserve to be heard. You will also hear from hand-picked professionals ready to guide you beside me. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Live Boldly with Sarah Shelton Kranz. Right now, I am at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, guiding men and women on their own personal development and healing journeys. If this is something that you would be interested in for 2021, we will be opening the cart in about 30 days. Subscribe to my newsletter through my website, SarahSheltonKranz.com. We currently have April, June, and October 2021 Grand Canyon retreats coming up. Also, I am so excited to share with you that we have finally launched our virtual uh, healing program. It is the entire month of 2021. It begins in January. Every month we will be tackling a new topic. You will hear from me uh, both in live and recorded trainings. Every month we will be doing group coaching. We have just amazing speakers coming in, such as Florence Williams, the bestselling author of The Nature Fix, Dr. Barbara Steffens, all about relational betrayal trauma, Dr. Jake Porter, all about trauma brain, Rob Mack Liberty Happiness Coach, uh, Michelle Poitier, all about just telling your truth and sharing your story. Brittany Lynn will be coming in and doing meditations uh, with us. We have uh, Jenna doing um, breath work. If this sounds like something you would like to do, please message me, sarah at sarahshultancrans.com. Join either monthly or for the entire year, and let's see how much that we transform and heal our life over the course of the next 12 months. We do begin in January, so please message me as soon as possible. So today I have on an incredible woman, uh, Nancy Burns. She is an author, speaker, and professor of sociology Her life goals include defending the freedom to grieve, protecting joy, inspiring faith, finding beauty in a broken world, and walking beside others during life's difficult journeys. We had a very in-depth, beautiful conversation about grieving. What is grieving? How do we grieve? Um, Just the thought processes on it. And I really encourage you, especially this time of year, to go grab your journal, take this outside if you can, lean up against a tree, listen to the words, take some notes. And really think about how you can bring this into your life and the life of those that you love. I am so happy to have you here. Enjoy this episode. Good morning, Nancy. It's so great to have you on. Um, I am so grateful to have you because we are going to talk grief today.
0: Yeah. Good morning, Sarah. Thank you so much for um, having this conversation.
1: Yeah, and you are like the grief expert. So forgiveness is my jam space and, forgive and grief is something that you have stood on a TED Talk stage about and talked about. It's something that you do a lot of work around. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's start there.
0: Sure. I teach and do research about grief and death. So I spend a lot of time talking to students about um, their own thoughts about grief, their own experiences, but then I also uh, enjoy doing public speaking, and when we're not in the middle of pandemic, I do quite a bit of traveling and speaking with groups about grief as well.
1: Yeah, so what was drawn to you? I'm, I'm really curious about this, actually, to start there. What was drawn, what, what drew you into um, speaking about grief?
0: So my dissertation work was actually about domestic violence and uh, talking to victims and how they experience violence. And through that, I was also interested in murder victims and their families and the grief that murder victims' families had. So I, I kind of came through to grief through the, the violence and the interest in crime and started to look at this idea of closure, uh, which is my more recent research and, and then when we also experienced uh, great loss in our own lives that brought some of the personal element to the academic side. So I continue to do the, the research and writing on grief and death and where it's taking me and uh, right now that this is what I want to do. So maybe, you know, maybe I'll look at some other topics, but I'm enjoying helping people with grief.
1: Yeah. And so I actually am guiding a group into the Grand Canyon you know, in, in December. Uh, well, next week, goodness. And <laughs> that's coming up. That's next week. And one of the, it's interesting how when my groups are brought together, there is typically an overall theme. And the theme that we are working through right now is grief. And so I actually had asked them some questions. What do you want to know more deeply about in your own grieving process? And I want to address some of those questions because having them come from somebody that's actually going through the grieving process, which we all are in a different sort of way right now, especially with this pandemic. Um, and I was very touched by some of the questions that they had. And one of them that touched me most was, can you walk with grief and still have joy? How do you walk in it? How do you walk through the loss of an unfulfilled desire in life? That's never been met. And can you still experience joy.
0: Yeah, that is a great question. And the short answer is yes, absolutely. You can have joy while you're grieving. And I think that's one of the key points I, I try and share with people is you can carry joy and grief together. Uh, and in fact, we can broaden that and say you, we can carry complicated emotions all the time. And it sounds simple. Um, but sometimes people don't understand that. And I think part of that is the misconceptions we have in our culture about how emotions work. Mm-hmm. And that's built on two, two myths about emotions. One of them is this idea that uh, there are good emotions and bad emotions. And a lot of times grief, I think, gets misunderstood as always a bad emotion. And I don't think it is. Uh, grieving is an important experience. so, and, and I'll follow up on that a little bit later. When the second misconception is that we can only feel one emotion at a time, which is not the case. We are complicated human beings and we carry mixed, we carry all sorts of emotions all the time. So we can carry joy and grief with us. We can carry faith and doubt at the same time. We can carry anger while also learning to forgive, which I'm sure you have found in your work. So grieving is a process and We don't want to wait until we no longer feel the pain in order to reach out for the love and joy uh, because we could be waiting a long time. It does take a long time to grieve. So um, don't, you know, I, I tell people no, don't feel guilty if you have joy while you're grieving. And, but also give other people space because how we get there and what the balance is between those emotions vary for people.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, it's interesting. I always talk to my clients too about you spoke on the anger and the forgiveness piece and the more that we feed the light, the more that we can step into that space of joy. I would imagine that the the more that we can also um allow ourselves to process the grief, right? In a, in, in a healthy way. That's um it's beautiful. So I also uh Well, that goes into the next question that I also have. Can we truly heal in relationships without grieving the loss there has been?
0: I think grieving is part of the healing and grieving looks differently for everyone. So we don't want to narrow down this idea of grieving too much. Otherwise people might feel like, I don't think I'm grieving, right? So if, if they have this picture of grieving as crying, being sad, or being angry all the time, then they might, if they don't experience that, they might feel like, well, I'm not grieving. Uh, Grieving takes many forms. And I think grieving, again, it it can get a bad rap in terms of of being something that we want to get over as quick as possible. Or or usually what's happening is we're trying to get other people over the grieving faster than what they're ready to do. Uh, But if you think about grief and grieving a, a little differently, uh, grieving is an expression of love. Uh, we grieve things that we wanted to keep longer. Um, so when we're grieving, I think it helps us to step back and identify what is it that I lost? What is it that I'm hurting about? you know. And, and when we can recognize and identify that, that is going to come with sadness. And that may or may not come with tears. But it's also part of our healing journey to understand Yes, this is what I lost. This is important to me. And grieving is a language of love because it it helps us to express to others, this is not right. this Something is wrong here because I miss someone. I miss something in my life and and I'm I'm
1: working through this. So I have so many questions for you right now. The one that's popping up into my head right now is, um, so imagine that I'm going through this grieving process and somebody says something to me first of all, from the about my grieving process, from the person who is approaching somebody that is grieving, what do you say to them? What's the best word that you could say to them? What's the best phrase that you could say to somebody that's grieving? To support someone who's grieving? Yes. Well, I want to step back from that first
0: um, to help with thinking about your motivation when you go up to someone Mm -hmm. who's grieving. Uh, And then we can talk about what to say. But I think to understand your own motivation is so important and people and usually people have good intentions right when they're trying to help not always um, but but we're going to go with the usually people have good intentions but one of the the things that gets people in trouble when they're trying to support others is this idea that I have to go fix someone's pain that Mm -hmm. I need to make it better for them and then that is not only not what the person needs, it also brings a huge burden to the person trying to support the other person. And if I go into it thinking, I've, I've got to try and f- fix this, I've got to try and make this f- person feel better, then I'm like worried about what are the right words, I don't know what to say. So if we step back from that and understand that the best thing you can do is to be a witness to their pain, to be there for them, to walk beside them on this journey, and to listen right, to, to give them space to feel, to give them space to be and to hurt, um, to tell stories. So if we're talking about they're grieving the death of someone, you know, can they, you know, if they want to talk and they want to tell stories, you'd be the one to listen to them. So then if if we go into it with that approach and that motivation, then we can Think a little bit more about what can we say. And actually, you know, sometimes you might be able to say to someone, I don't know what to say, can actually be a really great opener because it it recognizes, I don't understand completely what you're going through. And even if you've shared a similar loss, you still don't know what that person's going through exactly. Um, I can't, you know, I. some people appreciate the I'm sorry for your loss, but other people don't like that. So what I don't want to get into, you know, for those who are listening, I I don't want people to feel paralyzed by, okay, say this, don't say that. But to recognize that being there with them and listening and letting them talk when they want to, letting them cry if they want to, uh, that is what you're trying to do. You don't have to fix their pain. That's not what they need.
1: Right, right. That's beautiful. And then on the receiving end, For those who are grieving, here's the thing that I've found too, when I'm working with people who are in the grieving process is simply holding space gives them permission to feel and gives them permission to express and to share their stories. And so to those people that are grieving, when somebody wants to hold space for them, what would you uh, encourage them to do?
0: Encourage the people supporting or
1: encourage encourage the people that are going through the grieving process.
0: Okay, sure. So, people going through the grieving process, um, I think w- one of the most important things to understand, um, along with that, you can carry joy and grief together, is that everyone grieves differently. Mm-hmm. We we get so wrapped up in comparing our grief to others, and also, you know, other people are policing our grief, and and we do a lot of our own gr- policing of our own grief, right? So, understand that everyone grieves differently. So there's not one right way to do it and to give yourself permission, give yourself freedom to grieve the way you need to at any one point. Um, So if, if you can find even one or two people in your life who are great listeners, who are there, you're comfortable with them. And, you know, you could talk about your grieving when you want to, you can just hang out, be with them. You know, even if you're It doesn't always look like you might be having fun, but it can be important to connect with them. That's really powerful. You know, finding that one or two people who are going to go that, the the journey with you. Um, I would also say that you don't have a responsibility to educate everyone you come across, right? So when you're able to talk about your grief and maybe give insights about what's going on for other people, that can be great not only for you, but for the others listening. But, you don't always have to do that, right? And if somebody's asking how you're doing and they want to hear about it, but you're not comfortable telling them about it, whether it's just the timing of that day or that person doesn't, you know, you don't feel safe, emotionally safe with that person. You don't have to tell them that. And you don't need to feel guilty for saying, I'm doing all right and just let it go with that. So I, I kind of went a lot of directions there for you. So I don't know what you want to follow up with cuz it depends a lot on who it is that you're talking with.
1: Right, absolutely. Well, and i is is the grieving process different for and i'm asking the questions also that i know many of my listeners would would want answers sure. to. Sure. Is the grieving process different for somebody that is going through say a divorce versus somebody that is going through a loss of a loved one, a passing of them or to um, you know, even even a loss of a job, like we grieve the loss of our careers, is the grieving process different for for every one of those um, and many other, uh, you know, um, experiences?
0: Right. I would I would start with saying the grieving process is different for everyone, whether we're talking about death or non-death loss. Mm-hmm. So there there are similarities across both death and non-death loss. And, but also within any of those categories, people grieve differently. Uh, So probably one of the biggest differences is the way other people react to you. Uh, So when we're grieving the death of somebody, and if that relationship has been recognized by others, meaning they, they understand that this person was important to you. Then they might be supportive best they can, they might you know offer that. Sometimes even with the death of an individual in our lives, other people don't recognize it as this is an important person or they don't understand why you're so upset, mm-hmm. and that can create its own problems. When it's a non-death loss, like a divorce, a job loss, um, ending a car- a career ending injury, not being able to, you know, fulfill one of your dreams. Um, with the pandemic we have all sorts of examples right not being able to get together not being able to travel missing a lot of events that one of the differences is people may not recognize that as something to grieve um, and then you're not always given the same kind of space and support to be grieving that Um, but with but within that there people are grieving differently and i think anything that you're learning about your own grieving process, what's helpful for you. Absolutely. You could apply that to grieving non-death loss too.
1: Yeah. So are there phases to a grieving process? I mean, many people think that there's phases to, to things. Are Are there phases?
0: There are not in the sense of, okay. The the big, one of the biggest misconceptions about grief is that there's five stages of grief. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's still if if people talk about what they know about grief, they might refer to, oh, there are five stages of grief. That's not the case. Thank and you. Yeah. They, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> right. And I think one of the things that's appealing about that, this idea that there are stages or phases is we live in such a culture that people want steps one, two, three, just tell me what I have to do so I can get through it and be done. And especially we want to tell other people that when we're in the middle of our own grief, we could have a sense that this is more complicated than that. There's not going to be these simple, neat phases, but with other people, we sort of want to end their pain and grief because we're not very good at sitting with other people's pain. Um, but the, the stages of grief is, I think, more harmful than than helpful as a concept. And the reason that, well, there are a couple of major reasons that they're, they're not stages of grief. One is our current contemporary research does not back that up. Um, the The earlier studies co- coming from Kubler-Ross, who was talking about stages of grief, she was looking at people who were dying. And even there, you know, she tried to really emphasize that these are not linear stages. Not everybody goes through these right? She was just trying to take this theoretical concept to explain what some people were experiencing with dying, which mm-hmm. is very different than when you're grieving. So, yeah. but other people took off with that uh, idea and it continues to be out there. So it's not, and I think it's harmful when people believe for themselves or for others that there's stages of grief. And I'll give you one example. Uh, in one of my interviews for my research, I had a woman who I was I was speaking with her five years later after her um, son had died and her son was in his mid twenties, and she she was talking about an hour into our conversation. You know, she was asking, "What you know, what is wrong with me?" Because I've never been angry. I was never angry. What is wrong with me? And I, you know, I said, "There's nothing wrong with you." And the reason she thought there was something wrong with her is because she knew anger was one of those five stages of grief. So she had never gone through that then she must not be grieving, right? So people get you know, caught up in this idea that there's a certain way to grieve or there's a certain stage I get through and then what? what's wrong with me when I haven't gotten there? So no, there are no stages. People don't grieve the same. There's no set time schedule and we need to be able to get away from that and understand that everyone's on their own timeline and the differences are there and that's okay.
1: That's fascinating you bring this up because when I was guiding a woman through the Grand Canyon, and we were filming the documentary last November, she actually said to me, we were standing on, you know, this on the trail. And she said, Why can I not get angry? I don't understand why I can't get angry. And we had a conversation about that. And it was she was processing grief. And uh, she really was beating herself up over that. Why can't I get angry?
0: Right? Yeah,
1: brought this up. Yes. And, and people,
0: and there are people who do get angry as part of their grief and that's okay too. Right. Yeah. I want to make sure those who are feeling like, well, I do get angry. That, yeah. yes, yes, absolutely. For some people that that's very much a part of it. And that's, that is part of your grieving journey. Uh, but you don't have to be angry. That doesn't have to be part of grieving. Um, so that also don't want people, you know, feeling that expectation. And, and as you said, trying to even make themselves feel that.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. So how does grief affect the body? Because we know, you know, when it comes to trauma, um, how it affects the body. I'm quite into Bessel van der Kolk and his work. So how does grief affect the body physiologically or spiritually or mentally or emotionally? Sure. Yes. So, again,
0: grieving and, and how people respond to a particular loss will vary greatly. So Mm -hmm. some people might not be feeling a lot of physical effects. They might, it might not seem like there's a lot different for them physically. Um, Other people might be feeling a lot of physical effects. Um, Sometimes people have uh, responses that feel like panic attacks, that feel like anxiety attacks, uh, you know, where it's hard to breathe, they get tight and they may feel ill, that they can't sleep well, or that they're sleeping all the time, that they can't eat much, they lost their appetite. And one of the, the I think, complications is that the way people respond with grief can look a lot like depression mm-hmm. or other uh, clinical conditions, but that is, it's not the same. But um, one of my concerns is that in our society, and, and also a lot of the research, They've tried to collapse what should be considered a normal part of life, which is grieving with mental health um, conditions. And those sometimes are interconnected, but they're still different. They're still different parts of what's going on. and you can be grieving and having a lot of those physical symptoms that look a lot like other conditions, but it's it's not. it's grieving. And it, it would make sense that some people are feeling all that. So it's a, it's a big continuum in terms of what people might um, experience. But that's definitely one of the things I go over in my class on grief to help students understand. Because I think that if you are supporting someone or if you're going through it yourself and suddenly, you know, you're feeling all these different physical reactions, you kind of wonder what's going on. And, and one answer might very well be you're grieving.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you touched on the fact that it, it looks in different ways like people may look at it like it's depression or people may look at it like it's but it, you're you're in loss you're actually grieving what um you know it's just I'm so glad you touched on that so um how would somebody uh I'm still have so many questions for you. Sure. <laughs> how would somebody that is just starting to go through the grieving process, I'm thinking back to even back when, you know, I was grieving the loss of my marriage and I didn't even realize I wasn't, I was experiencing grief. Right. I mean, I was also in trauma. Um, right. and, uh, how would you, um, walk somebody through that? The, the, the very first steps of the grieving process. Yeah, so
0: one of the first things that I would encourage people to do, and in a lot of times I'm speaking with groups, and you know, you might have someone there who it's just been a few weeks since someone died, um, or somebody who's it's been years, right? And so where they're at on that grieving journey varies greatly. However, I think that there are some ways of thinking about it that can be helpful for everyone. And that's that's kind of always a balance because even people who are listening, right, to to this conversation are going to be in very different places. Right. And early on after a loss, whether that's a, a loss of a person or a relationship or some other part of their life, it, it is going to be a little different than when you're still working through that loss later, right? So some of the suggestions I might share – might hit for somebody, you know, yes, that makes sense right now. And others, I can't quite grasp that because you're in different places, you know, in that process. One of the things I think is helpful to understand is again, going back to that people grieve differently and to try and take off the weight of social expectations. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you picture this, you're going on a journey, you're going to go on a, this is a longer journey of grieving. And it's. I don't think it's helpful to look at a particular destination of, we're going to get to the place where I'm done grieving. Right. It's. I think it's more helpful to think of it as, you are going to learn to live with the loss. Okay. You, you're going to learn how to carry that loss. And so we can learn to carry it differently so that the load isn't as heavy. But you're not going to be completely... Um, getting rid of it you're not going to forget about it. And for a lot of people that's actually comforting to think about because for some people and this is a little different than when you're talking about trauma. But if we're talking about, you know, the grief, the loss of someone we love, people have fear that they're going to forget them. And you know, I don't want to forget them. And sometimes they'll even recognize that pain of grief as this is now what I have left of that person and I don't want to give up that pain. Um, So for them, I think it's okay where you're at, feel that, and in time, you are going to realize that it's not just the pain that you have left. You have so much of that person left, the love that you shared, what you've learned, memories, values. It's not the same. It never feels like enough, Um, but in time, that becomes a bigger part of your Your grieving process to where it's not just the pain. But I think unloading those social expectations, the weight of those social expectations, gives us then some of that space and room to grieve, to identify why we're hurting, and then also to eventually remember the joy, remember the love, and then to experience the joy and love in
1: the relationships that are still in our lives. You're speaking to an awful lot of people that I'm working with right now. All of your words, I'm just sitting here smiling right now because this is exactly, exactly what needs to be said. I really, and heard exactly what needs to be heard. I um, have found that in my own, you know, when I was really diving into forgiveness, part of the reason that people have a hard time forgiving is because society has told them to forget that it happened right? And it's even in the dictionary and words matter. And one of the things that I'm talking with with, uh, clients when we're going through the process of forgiving is you're not being asked to forget that it happened. You're not pardoning it. You're not condoning it. You're honoring the experience that you walked through in order to then step into forgiveness. And it's very much the same here with this grieving. What you're talking about is nobody's asking, we, we don't want to forget the person we don't want to forget the person or the or the experience that we've walked with um, in life, right? Through right that, through that, and so I'm so happy that you're bringing this up. How do different cultures gr- do different cultures grieve differently? This is I'm just really curious about this. Somebody else asked me this too, and what can we learn from them? Um, you know, do different cultures grieve differently than us?
0: Yeah, different cultures grieve differently, and just as even within one culture, uh, you have a lot of different groups and and people grow up in different families and with different belief systems, and that affects how they grieve and how they also, I mean, it's also connected with death care because death rituals are also differently, are, are different. So people grieve differently. And I think one of the things that we can learn from that and from other cultures is to see that that big difference right and when the more we see the differences out there i think the easier it is to understand yeah there are a lot of ways to approach you know these these uh losses and so it's okay to explore what is it that is helping me and what that i need Um, and then you know trying to connect right if if it's helpful you know hopefully it's helpful to have also, some cultural roots, you know, whether it's through your family or through your religion or if, uh, through your cultural traditions. If you can connect with some of those roots, it, that can also be comforting for some people to know that I'm not alone in this historical picture. Um, so, when we see that playing out differently across cultures, I, I think that can help us with our imagination in terms of reimagining the way that. We're approaching life.
1: Mm, Yeah, definitely. Have you done a lot of studying on other cultures with grief?
0: In my classes, um, students we we read and we discuss and we look at, particularly with death rituals uh, from other cultures. So I, it's not part in my in my interviews about grief. um, There are differences with some cultures, and so that does come across sometimes. Yes. Mm
1: What has been um, it, through the, your own process? I'm curious as for for this on a personal level. What has been one of the most um, fascinating things that you've actually uncovered when it comes to grief? Through the through my research. Through your research, yeah.
0: Well, right now I'm focusing on the longer term grieving. So, I meaning I'm I'm interviewing people who it's been years since a particular significant loss. You know, in some cases, it's 15 years later, 30 years later. Because we don't have a lot of research that's looking at what is it like to be carrying loss that long. And I think it's not so much that it was surprising, uh, but it's maybe reaffirming to listen to the stories that people have. um, And they're both, they still feel that love, that great love, which is also, you know, the reason for their grief. Um, at the same time, they, you know, they've continued to invest and have these amazing lives mm-hmm. um, going forward. And so, you know, as one example is interviewing a, a man who his wife had died and she had died about 15 years prior to our conversation. And he was remarried um, and had had grandkids that, his first wife who had died, you know, would have been their grandma. Uh, And then, you know, he also has family and kids with his current wife. And it was just this big love story in many ways, right? Because you could tell how much he loved his first wife and, you know, talking about her, but he was also very happy in his, you know, marriage and with his job yet. And so this, this is a look into it 15 years later. And I think that that's helpful for us to see that our lives take these twists and turns and we don't know what's out there, but it can be beautiful, even as it can be tremendously difficult and hard. And we, we can have that and we can see that without forgetting the people that um, we lost. We, we can carry their love. We can carry their memories. And as he said, you know, why would I not still think about her? You know, he said, I, I think about her every day. And he said, why wouldn't I? You know, she's the mother of my children. She was my first love. She We had this life. So I think that is important and it's beautiful and to give people hope that you don't have to forget what you had. And in some cases... Even if you want to, sometimes it's still going to be with you, but we can take those scars and we can take those wounds. And that is part of what gives us the depth and compassion and experience to then give to others and to experience life sometimes on an even a deeper level.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that. Because I was, as you we were talking about that, I'm like, this is giving so much hope to so many people right now. I think a lot of people, and I don't know, maybe you have found this. I know that in in my work, there are a lot of people that are afraid to forgive. Do you find that in yours as well? Have you found that in the research? Are, are people afraid of their own grief, of their own emotions, of their own pain?
0: Yeah, I- <clears throat> Definitely, forgiveness um, is complicated, and yeah. I, I don't know yeah. that it's it's always that people are afraid of it. Certainly, that that can be for some people. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of times is they don't know how to do that, right? You right. know, and they might even get to a point where they're interested in it. I've I've interviewed several people who they're they've had a loved one murdered, and then they you know have gone on to forgive. And even have an ongoing uh, relationship with the person who killed their loved one. So that's a very different, that's situation too, a lot complicated. It's amazing, I, I think, how they're able to get there. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's important to understand, a lot of those cases, not all of them, but a lot of times it's years and years later, right? And sometimes they've gone through a lot of other trials of how do I carry this grief and loss and anger and find themselves where forgiveness this is what's working for them right mm-hmm. and, and it varies for people because some people forgiveness is also that it's rooted in their faith it's rooted in their religion and they have a narrative which they can use to be able to understand what to do um, but even without that i think understanding that forgiveness is it's a way of understanding how you carry the pain and also, how you you learn to to not just love yourself but love others. And and you didn't mention this, but I would assume a lot of also the people that you're working with struggle with self forgiveness.
1: Oh, honey, you thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's interesting is self forgiveness is not something that we started talking about um, until fairly recently. And so when I wrote my book, I wrote it as forgiveness of self first and then forgiveness for others and forgiveness for the world. And um, self-forgiveness is one of the most powerful things that you can step into for, for uh, I've experienced that. And uh, so thank you for touching on that. It's interesting how many people um, as I talk to them more about more and more about self-forgiveness and they're like, I've never even thought about forgiving myself. I've never I've, ha- I've had the people people said it to me over and over, never even thought about forgiving myself. Right. There's, there's a lot
0: of guilt and shame and regrets that people carry with them, you know, and and connected with grief and trauma. And, you know, it can be buried so beneath a lot of hurt and a lot of what happens. It's, you know, and sometimes in people's lives, they have one storm after another hitting them. Mm -hmm. And so, and those, some of them are, you know, rooted back into childhood too. And so all, all the, experiences can be buried under this rubble that just keeps getting piled on top of you. So it can take time. And again, that's why I always want to emphasize there's no time schedule that everyone is on because it can take you a long time to be identifying what is it that I'm feeling. And and that is the grieving process. You're identifying loss and you're identifying your emotions and what those are connected with. And then you're working to reclaim those experiences and reimagine how you carry them, um, and so self forgiveness comes with that. But it's you can't you can't even I think really begin to forgive yourself until you know what you're trying to forgive. Yes, and so that it's that grieving process that helps us to identify what is it that I'm doing, and so one of the I think complications in our culture is that we don't like people grieving too much or too long. And so a lot of times people isolate themselves or they withdraw when they feel like I'm supposed to be quote unquote over this by now. And if people don't have the space to grieve, then that grief is coming out in other ways. And a lot of times it comes out in self-harm or it comes out in, in harming others, sometimes verbally, emotionally, physically. And so it's it's the grieving that becomes our venting system. our way of identifying that loss. and When we're starting to identify the loss, what it is I'm feeling, then we can also look at at self-forgiveness as a way of helping to carry that.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've had to do a lot of my own personal work on grieving my past where I've actually gone back and I thought, wow, I never allowed myself to grieve what I never did get to experience at 17 because all of a sudden I became a mom. And so I want people to understand that this is, it's a practice. You know, I always talk about that. It's, it's something that, you don't. it's not one and done. It's not, I grieved that. Okay. Now I'm done. Right. And so, and that's okay. And, and we do, we hold ourselves accountable for things of, well, I should be done with this. And it's, it is, it's a way of carrying it throughout your life in a different way. And I just love how you are expressing this because so many people need to hear this.
0: Right. And it's it's not just that you didn't grieve something, you know, when you were 17 or when you were five. It's it's also that throughout your own life, you come to understand new, di- new dimensions right. of a loss. Right. And so, you know, a parent who loses a, a five-year-old also loses a six-year-old and an eight-year-old and a, a senior graduate from college. So it's, it's not that they weren't grieving then it's that these other milestones that they recognize and they see other people having, they realize again that I'm not having this. And it's when people are, are grieving those different milestones, it's not that, you know, I, I really dislike this idea of someone stuck in their grief. That's not the case. It's that they are learning these new layers of loss or, you know, I think of a, you know, I have quite a few students who whose parent, you know, they've had a parent die and they're experiencing the loss of that parent at new phases in their own life. And then when they get married or they have children, and so they'll be grieving those, those new layers. But it doesn't mean that they aren't, aren't also enjoying um, other things in their life and, and have love and have joy. Right, right.
1: So you are... Speaking my words right here. Oh good. Do, it's so good. How do people, I just want to because I know you know we are going to be out of time in just a moment, but um, I know for some people, they look at I've had people say to me, You mean I'm gonna have to deal with this the whole rest of my life? And right. right? And so let's just touch on that because um wherever you are, how how do we reframe that? What would you say to somebody? How would you reframe that that story?
0: Yeah, th- and this is something I I learned pretty early on because one of the things that I share is that there is no closure, right? And if I don't if I don't say more about that, one of the concerns people have is, does that mean I'm always going to feel this bad? Right? I was like, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is you don't need closure to heal. Right? So there's healing, uh, but again, if if people, and we use closure sort of as this concept, this hammer that we use on other people to make them feel like they have to rush through this and forget about it. Um, But instead is, is that you're going to, you're going to learn to live with the loss and you're going to learn to carry that differently. And that could be, you know, particularly effective as you know, you're talking with people who are, are doing these long journeys, whether the grand Canyon or other, right? Mm -hmm. Like how, how you carry um, what's going on in your life, how you carry that matters. So the pain will get lighter you will learn to carry that Um, but it'll still be with you but that's also not a bad thing Mm. right and so understanding again that grief is an expression of love and even with trauma it's not that you love it's not that you love what's happened to you but you're identifying what you've lost that you loved or that you want to regain and so i think it also helps us with a roadmap for our own lives, you know, when we can understand uh, this is what's important to me. And I know it's really important to me because when I've lost it, it's really painful. And then, you know, how, how can that help be a guiding light for the rest of my life? And when we're thinking about loved ones who've died, how, you know, how do I bring them into my life yet? And what I've learned from them, the values, my memories, right? We carry that with us and that helps. So I think uh, focusing on the love, right? Understanding grief as a language of love and going forward, focusing on love, loving the people you are missing, loving yourself, um, and loving those around you and understanding you can do that while you are, are grieving yet. And, and in time, you're going to learn how to carry that easier.
1: Yeah. I always say the foundation of everything is love you know, the foundation of forgiveness is love. It's just, it's just love is, is something that can um, really, uh, it it heals us, right? And even like that self-love, it's so beautiful. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we, um, I'm going to have to do another one of these with you at some point, because you, you are good. good. Yeah, there's,
0: there's a lot, there's a lot you can cover. Well, maybe we can, we'll just, you know, touch on with holidays coming up yes. uh, and particularly in the middle of a pandemic, I think that anytime people are grieving, holidays are hard. Mm-hmm. And with the pandemic, it's it can be hard for those, even if they're not grieving uh, the loss of a loved one, but many people are, is to try and, um, you know, re- reclaim the holiday for what it means, you know, and, and, you know, and connecting that whether it's uh, your, your own faith traditions and understanding the, the hope and love and joy that's at the center of Christmas um, or understanding holidays as an opportunity to remember loved ones, to honor loved ones. You can have new traditions, new rituals. Um, so in, One of the tricky parts of that, though, and I guess this is one message and maybe we come back to it another time, but is that not everybody else is going to grieve the way you are. Mm -hmm. So you also need to give your friends and family that space to help them do what they need to do. Right. And so there's there's conflict when the way we need to grieve isn't compatible with each other. right. So understanding and trying to have conversations with those around you about what is it that you need? What rituals, what traditions might we do this year? Let's just start with this year. And that would be helpful. Um, What are ways that we can remember loved ones, you know, traditions so that it's it's not just unsaid, right? And I, I think that that can go a long ways. And it's not that you have to be talking about grief the entire time during a holiday, but even allowing space there for people to talk about those who have died, um, to you know have memorial ornaments or traditions or stories, then that opens up space for people to also feel the joy and love of the season. So it, it goes back to where we started, right? Carrying joy and grief together, and allowing other people to do that too. And that is what Christmas is about. Yeah. Even though we often, you know too many people are focusing on the decorations and everything being perfect and, uh, you know, just the happy part, that is actually what Christmas is about is, you know, and and for those who who share that Christian faith um, of Christ- Christmas, don't be afraid to go back to the origins of that.
1: Right. Yeah, that's beautiful. The the I wrote something down and one of the things that you said is grief is an expression and a language of love. And I would say that um, that is, that just ties it throughout everything. And I, I so appreciate you. I so appreciate you. And I appreciate the work that you're doing in this world, by the way. I yes, we do. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, and that's why I continue with it. And it's, you know, it's always nice to talk with people about uh, grieving in the sense that you you cut through a lot of small talk and you cut through a lot of politics when you get right to you know, looking at grief and loss and what matters. And mm-hmm. and that can be, that's great. That's a way to connect with humanity.
1: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Thank you. You bet. I really appreciate you being here. And we will have you on again at some point, please. And, um, and I just, I just want to say to you, uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, because the world needs more of this.
0: Well, thank you, Sarah. And have a, you know, great journey into the Grand Canyon. Thank you. I
1: really appreciate it. We'll be in touch. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Friends, thank you for listening to the Live Boldly podcast. I am grateful to have you here, and I would love to invite you over to sarahscheltoncrans.com to grab my free 7 Steps to a Joy-Filled Life. I share these 7 steps from my own heart, soul, and experience. These steps transformed my own life from victim to survivor. Also, please, let's all be a ripple effect of change in today's world. I ask of you to please share this podcast with others that may need to be inspired or who need to hear from others going through where they are right now. To grow this podcast, please leave an iTunes review, go to my Instagram or Facebook page and let me know what you think. I love hearing from each and one of you. I love sharing your thoughts, messages, and inspiring words. Because we are not alone in this world, friends. Let's keep the ripple moving. It begins with each one of us. I love you and have a great remainder of your day. Seeking the truth never gets old.